This is Leewood Online, a ministry of Leewood Baptist Church, located in the Kansas City area. For more information about us, visit us online at www.leewoodbaptist.com. Good morning. I'm Kaylee Dykstra, and I have the joy of doing this scripture reading this morning. The scripture is Ephesians 3, 1 through 13, and this can be found on page 977 of your Pew Bible. Page 977, Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, and those of you guys who are watching online, um, glad you're with us. Hey, if I haven't met, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, let me just say, uh, I missed you guys last week. I was on vacation. You didn't need to know that. But um, I just missed being here with you. I missed praying together. I missed being in the room. Um, those of you guys who've been home since COVID started, I know you missed the body as well. Um, so I just want to say I, I missed you guys. It's good to be back. Um, before I pray to you, I just want to say thanks to Anna and Logan. They've been with us for a couple of months. Uh, they're members at another church in town. And I asked them just to help us out for a couple of, of weeks uh, that stretched out over a couple of months just to help get us some, some capacity in our worship team and uh, kind of move forward in some ways. And uh, thanks for lending your strength. And um, thanks for playing the greatest hits today. Holy cow. Uh, that was amazing. Uh, so thank you. And I think you have opened up Roxanne in some ways that were really fun to uh, just watch her go crazy. So, hey, thank you. Uh, you've served us. You've reminded us of who Jesus is more than just great musicians. Your love for God has been in the room with us and you've called us to trust him. And uh, so thank you for that. That'll, that'll last in our hearts way past your, your physical presence. And we'd love to see you again uh, at some point. So I um, wanted to just say thanks. So um, let me just uh, pray then. Um, and then we'll jump into this passage um, about the church. Jesus, uh, we have already heard that you're good. We've already heard that you're faithful. We've already heard that you can take away all of our sin. God, it's such good news. And so we will gladly surrender everything to the one who gave everything for us so that we could be forgiven 
and set free, and you have proven your faithfulness over and over and over again. So as we consider this morning what it means to be your people and to gather as the church, would you just speak those themes continually over us and and knit them into our hearts in ways that they take root and they bear fruit over time? Would you free people this morning who feel trapped, who their sin feels so overwhelming, they have very little hope that you would take away all of their sin? Would you speak the blood of Jesus, uh, that he's already accomplished everything for them, and would you set them free? For those who feel really far away from you and need to hear the hope and the good news that you came to rescue and to save sinners and to bring them into your family, would you rescue people? For those who are fatigued and tired and anxious and overwhelmed, God, would you encourage and speak into their hearts the good news of your love and your faithful presence, your kindness. And for those who um, feel like things are going well, who could see easily this week evidence of your grace, God, would you encourage them? Would you kiss them on the head? Would you continue to draw them deeper into their understanding of who you are? Even past their circumstances, God, would you um, help them treasure what you've done for them? So, So use your word to do that. Help us this morning as we just tell the story of who you are and what you've done in this particular place and and globally, we ask for your help. Um, So stir faith among us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, this week we start a a mini-series on the church. We've been marching through the book of Matthew, kind of verse by verse, and you might say taking too much time on some verses, but we've gone slow and had the luxury of just kind of slowing down and asking, what does Jesus say to us about what it means to be in his kingdom and to follow him, and how do we respond to his promises and, and walk with him? And then as we come into the summer, I just thought we should do a little bit of just vision casting about who we are as a church, who we're aspiring to be. And, and before we talk about our specific church, it makes sense that we would talk about the church at large and just kind of what is the purpose of the church to begin with. And so we're going to do three weeks. And, and when you do a three-week series on the church, you leave a lot on the table, right? So there'll be a ton of questions that you have that we won't answer in this uh, couple of weeks. And, and as we think about some of the purposes, there'll be some whole categories that we leave beside. So, so here's our plan. We're going to talk for three weeks on Sunday morning, and then we're going to do a dinner on August 4th on a Wednesday night. We'll gather down in the fellowship hall. Anybody who wants to come is welcome, and we'll just do Q&A. We'll just answer questions about, about us specifically, about what the Bible says about the church in general, give you access to just kind of talk about whatever we left on the table that you really want to talk about, we can discuss. And my hope is that this does a couple of things for us. One, I hope that it reminds us of why we gather as a church. So this has been an amazing um, season in the last kind of uh, 16 months or so in our culture. And so a lot of us are asking, what is church to begin with? When it goes to a screeching halt and shuts down and you go home and online and now you're coming back and some of you are asking like, what kind of church do I want to be a part of? What, why do we even gather? I know some of you guys watching online are going like, can I just do this from home? Is that okay? Like what, what is the point of the church? And so what I want to do in one way is just talk about what God's plan is for the church like in a big global way. And what I hope that does is actually anchors us in our specific moment. So so we are in a very particular time in in the U.S., in Kansas City, during COVID, in 2021, in a church that's facing lots of transitions, has a new pastor, and has been through some crisis before that, has faced other transitions over the last few years. So there's a lot going on. And I hope that that anchoring and kind of an eternal, long-term plan of the church would actually give a grounding and a footing for where we are right now. Does that kind of make sense? I want to go big to talk about the why of the church. Why does it even exist? 
And I hope that anchors us for where we are right now. So that's what I want to talk about today. And then if you can just go kind of with those categories of why, then we'll go what next week. Like what are we focused on as a church? And if we just started there, I think we're way off base, right? So we have to go, why does the church exist? And then essentially, how are we trying to live that out as a community? So, so what are we trying to do? And then the last week, we'll talk about how you can be involved, what it means for you to meaningfully participate in the life of our church. It'll be an invitation into relationship here. Hopefully it'll answer some of your questions. Um, and, and we're going to go kind of the large, big, concentric circles of like the why and the what and then the actual you, the how you participate. That, that's my hope. And I hope that encourages you. I hope for our new folks who are visiting and checking things out, it answers some questions for you about what we're trying to be. A lot of it will be aspirational things that we long for. For those who've been here for a long time and you've faced a lot of change and transition and I hope it reminds you of that God's faithfulness and the essence of what it is that we gather for. And those of you who don't know Jesus who are questioning Christianity and wondering, like, why do people go to church in the first place? And what are these prayers and what are these songs? I hope it kind of communicates to you God's love and his plan for salvation and his desire to welcome you into a relationship, not just you individually, but in a relationship with God's people at large. So, so I hope it serves kind of all three groups, those who are brand new, those who've been here for a bit, and those who are, are questioning what Christianity is is all about. So that's kind of a lot to ask of a three-week series. And so, so we'll just jump into the why. And I wanted to use this text because I think in this text, Paul's answering for us kind of this large, big vision of what has God's plan been for the church. And again, there's kind of this timeless plan that he calls a mystery. And what he's going to do is unpack that for us. And so here's going to be our outline. I want to talk about the purpose of the church and then the plan of the church and then a promise to the church. We'll use those three Ps. Look with me in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, for this reason, right? So he's going to give us a purpose. He's going to tell us the why the church actually exists. But what's interesting is he interrupts himself. So look in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then the editors put in this little dash to signal for us that he breaks his train of thought. He's going to pick it back up in verse 14, so you'll see the exact same phrase in verse 14 of chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. So this for this reason in verse 14 and for this, this reason in chapter 3 signals for us that he's following a line of thought and he kind of breaks stride for a moment to talk about the church. It's a, it's a parenthetical thought to root it in something else he's already said. It's not a throwaway thought. It's not a casual thought. He wants to like tell us the depths of the church, but he wants to put it in context. So I take some time just to say that because I think putting this passage in the larger context of Ephesians actually makes it more beautiful. So, so what has he been talking about? He says, hey, for this reason, for, for what reason? For the reason of what he's been saying, which if you go up to chapter 2, what you see is that he's been preaching the gospel. And the gospel is the good news of what Christ has come to do to rescue and ransom people. It's that he came on our behalf to die in our place, to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be in a relationship. And he says early in chapter 2 that this good news of the gospel comes to us by grace and that we're saved through faith, not through things that we do. It's by a gift from Jesus. It changes us. We respond to it, but he's the first one that does things to us. And so he talks about oneness in Christ. And then if we pick up like in verse, let's go to verse 18 of chapter 2. He says this, for, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So he says what Jesus has done has given us access to a relationship with God, which should blow our minds. It's not just absolving us of our sin. It's not just making us not guilty. It's actually welcoming us up, giving us access into God 
himself. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He says, you used to be on the outside. And now I want to tell you the good news of what Christ has done welcomes you in. You're no longer strangers and aliens and outsiders, but you've been brought in. You are now fellow citizens with the saints. And so it talks about not just your individual relationship, but the relationship with the larger church, right? To speak of the saints and the members of the household of God in verse 19 is to talk about the church local right here that you can see and a church universal, right? We're part of the saints. This is mind-blowing. Throughout the ages, for millennium, all those who trust God for their righteousness are part of the church, which means we have brothers and sisters in this family who speak languages we don't understand in times and cultures that we didn't even know about, in places where you've never actually encountered them and met them, but you are familiarly, you're, you're tied in as a family in ways that actually bring about the beauty and goodness of God. So he says, you're together, it's not just strangers and aliens, you've been brought into this family, and this family is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets' teaching. And it's built on Jesus himself. He is the cornerstone. The family is not built on a vision or a pastor or a building or a denomination. It's built on Jesus. So the church itself exists because of Jesus. He is the cornerstone. In verse 21 it says, In whom this Jesus, the whole structure, the entire thing, is being joined together and it grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built up together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So he uses this building illustration. He says the church is like a big building. It's not first an institution. It's actually an expression. What happens in this building is that we are being built up into this relationship with God. He's the cornerstone, Christ himself, and we come together. We're joined together is the language there. So, right, so this speaks of a solid foundation in the church, and it speaks of interconnected parts. So, so Paul isn't just throwing out propositions for us. He's giving us some illustrations. Later on, he's going to say the church is like a body. So it's like a building in the sense it has a foundation and it's being built together. It's strong and it's connected. And it's like a body. It's organic. It's, it has these interdependent parts where all of us have different roles. And later on in chapter 5, he's going to say it's like a bride. It speaks of the intimacy and the love and the connection. It's not just, again, data and thoughts and facts. We don't just gather around doctrine. We gather in relationship with God himself. So, so Paul's teaching how the church came about, but he throws these metaphors in there to help us understand, hey, this is strong. This is meant to be interconnected. This is meant to be somewhat romantic and expressing the affection of God. He, he didn't just have a plan and execute it like a blueprint. It was through his own life and love that he poured out his heart for the church. And he welcomed us into a relationship. So, so he's been saying that, right? And none of those metaphors, right, buildings and bodies and brides, speak of like something casual. They don't speak of something you can take or leave, right? They're, they're essential, if parts of the building aren't there, it falls down. If parts of the body aren't functioning, the whole body suffers. Right? There's places where it's meant to speak of the essential nature of the people of God coming together, which isn't just like esteem you, but it, it locates you in something bigger than yourself. Right? To put, put meaning to something bigger than just us gathering and having our needs met. And so this is not a series like a, uh, some sort of sales pitch, like a timeshare sales pitch, to say, here's the goods and services we can provide for you. If you'll sign up with us, here's what we can give you. The church isn't designed necessarily simply just to meet your needs and appeal to all of your preferences. 
It's meant to connect you to something big and eternal, which I think actually satisfies your heart. So, okay, so that's what he's been saying. So he's to say, for this reason, and then he interrupts himself. But what he wants to go to is actually to pray in verse 14. So he explains first what Christ has done, and then he prays that we would actually experience that. So he explains the, the gospel, and then he prays in verse 14 that God would grow our hearts in such a way that we have an increased capacity to take in how long and wide and deep and high is God's love for us. It's the prayer that I gave our dads on Father's Day, right? That God would increase our capacity to take in this good news of what Christ has done. Because Paul's going to say this is like a mystery that blows the mind. And actually, the cosmos look in and their minds are boggled to see what God has done. And yet we can just hear this and become commonplace with it. So he just says, hey, I want to explain it to you. And then I want to pray that you would actually experience it deep inside your body. Okay, and then what he wants you to experience is the mystery of what Christ has done. So he puts the church kind of in this sandwich. He explains it. He asks that we would experience it, and he explains to you what God is doing in the body, in the bride, in the building to connect us together. Does that kind of make sense? But the why is rooted in expressing the redemption of what Christ has done. I think we could define the church as a simple expression of God's faithfulness. What's the meaning of the church? It's meant to express God's faithfulness to keeping his promise to rescue and save. That is why the church exists. The church exists not as an institution primarily, but as an expression of God's saving, beautiful, powerful love for people. That's what he wants to say and do, right? Which then reorients like what we do when we gather. The reason why we sing songs about God's faithfulness and the reason why we pray prayers of confession and petition and supplication is saying, God, this is all about you. Would you come and actually rescue and redeem and, and help us. All right, so, so let's talk about the middle of the sandwich, right? So if the why is to express God's faithfulness, let's just unpack this passage just a little bit. So go with me in chapter 3, verse 2. After he says, this is the reason why I'm saying this. He says, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, right? I'm assuming that you've heard that God is doing something bigger than what you thought he was doing. Bigger than just for the Jews, it's actually for the whole world. He says, and this is the mystery that was made known to me by revelation. So God has spoken that his plan for rescuing people is bigger than just the Israelites. It's bigger than just the Jews. It's bigger than just God's chosen people, the Old Testament. There's, there's a mystery of something that's, that's bigger. God's revealed that. I've written about it, he says. And when you read it, you can perceive the insight I have into this mystery, right? So God spoke it to him. He recorded it. Now we read it to kind of wrap our minds around what is the mystery of Christ, right? There's a text there about the inspiration of Scripture. He, he hears from God, records it by the Holy Spirit, gives it to us so that we know what Christ has done. So verse 4 again. So when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So he's saying this mystery that I'm unpacking for you, it was somehow hidden in the past. So mystery here in Ephesians is not like a riddle that you have to be really smart to understand. It's not something that's meant to confound you or confound you. It's something that was actually concealed that was later revealed. So see that he says like this has been made 
known to you in a way that was different than the sons of other generations, right? This as there in verse 5. It was there in seed form. They could see it. There was always a welcome of the Gentiles into the body of Christ, into what he's doing in the family. But he's saying that through what Christ has done, through this kind of image of the mystery being revealed, there's a, a bigger understanding now of what God meant to do. It was there in seed form. Other generations saw it, but it was hidden from them. They didn't understand it as we understand it now. So there's verse 5 again, which was made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to the holy apostles and the prophets, those who wrote the scriptures right by the Spirit. And then here he says in verse 6, and this is the mystery. The mystery is that the Gentiles, those who were not Jews, not the descendants of Abraham, not the ones who come from the kings, not the one in all the genealogies, those who are outside of that family story, the mystery is that the Gentiles are not just tolerated and allowed to come in if they would become Jews, but they're actually fellow heirs. They're members of the same body. And they are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. All right, so he says, this is the mystery that in the church, what we see is that God is making one man out of two. He says that in chapter 2, that God's abolished the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles and the dividing wall between us and him in a way that he's created a family. And this mystery was always out there. It was in the text. You could see it, but it was hidden in such a way that it wasn't until when Christ came, right? This promise is coming through Christ in the gospel to help us understand the mystery of what it means to actually be the people of God. So what he's saying in this moment is that God came to do more than what you thought he was doing. And that you can come into the family of God not through birth, but by faith. That anybody who will trust in Jesus, who will look to God for their hope and righteousness, who will say, man, I was on the outside. You died on the cross to make me on the inside. You atoned for my sin in such a way that I could be forgiven. Anybody who will do that can be welcomed in, not as second-class citizens, but as fellow heirs, as members of the same body, and as partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. All right, hold on to that thought for just one second. Let me just stop for a second. A lot of you have already heard that. So what I want to do is like bring you into this text for them. This was blowing their minds because it has been a mystery. There was always a way for people outside the Jewish faith to come in and know God, but they had to become Jews to do that. So throughout the Old Testament, you see God graciously calling people to himself outside of that family line. But the mystery is that they would actually come in not as Jews, but as Gentiles, fellow heirs and members. So this hits them in a way that actually is revealing something they didn't think was even possible before. A couple weeks ago, we were in Chicago. And I don't know if you know this, but in the turn of the century, kind of the late 1800s, 1900s, they reversed the flow of the Chicago River. It used to flow out into Lake Michigan, and then they reversed it from, uh, I think, 1892 to 1900. They reversed the flow of a stinking river so that all the pollution, instead of going out into the um, Lake Michigan, it now flows the other direction into the Mississippi and down to St. Louis, which you're like, yeah, get in St. Louis. So they, they stuck all the pollution heading that direction. Okay, so I was there. I read this on a little placard. We rented a boat and kind of toured that little lake. It was kind of a neat story. But I thought if you were there in 1892 to 1900, those eight years they're constructing this, it would be blowing your mind. Like who reverses the flow of a river, right? This is actually voted decades later as one of the engineering marvels of our day. To take a river and switch it a different direction blew their 
minds. But I'm there thousand or thousand, a hundred years later going like, yeah, cool, that's neat. And I kind of toured around where the docks were and were on my boat and thought it was a neat story. I wonder when you hear this, if you think it's like a neat story, or if you are struck by the idea of what it would have meant to be on the outside, to, to be an alien and a stranger, to be outside the covenant promises of God, having an opportunity to come in but needing to change a lot of who you were to actually be in that space of a relationship with God, to hear that God came to you and died in your place. It wasn't through the law. It wasn't through keeping things that you were going to make yourself right with God. It was through what he had done. It was through what Christ had done. And that's the thing that actually made it possible for you not just to be tolerated and have your sins wiped away, but actually welcomed into a family. I think for the first readers of this text, it would strike them like people watching someone reverse a river. And just go, this just never happens. It's not supposed to be like that. All I ever know is like do more and try harder and then God might love me to hear that God did all the work on my behalf. And he, he built a family and he welcomed us in as equals and co-heirs and participators into his mission is an amazing, mind-blowing thing. And what he says is this mystery is the kind of thing that, that it was concealed in the past and now it's been revealed. And it's the kind of thing that once you see it, you can't not see it. So when you think about the Old Testament and you understand what Paul is saying here, you realize back in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, when God makes a promise to come and rescue and send a descendant of Adam that would come and defeat the serpent, you go, oh, that's Jesus. You can't not see the gospel in chapter 3 of Genesis. When God makes a promise to Abraham that his descendants were going to be blessed and through his descendants he's going to bless the entire world, you can't not see that Jesus came as the son of Abraham to come and fulfill and keep all the promises. When you see God's promise to David that he would have a descendant that sits on the throne and rules forever and eternity, you can't not see that Jesus is the one true king that came to reconcile. So it's one of those things that once you see it, you can't not see it. All the Old Testament is pointing this direction. So it wasn't obscure. It wasn't plan B. He's saying this has always been God's plan to make a people for himself. And what is surprising to it is that God is the one who did all the work. Rather than you doing work to be brought in, he's saying there's an unsearchable richness to what Christ has done that radically changed you. So so remember when in grade school, there's that picture that's a kind of an optical illusion. It's two women's faces there's a dark part and a light part. And some people see an old lady first, and some people see a young lady first. You know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, kind of. I was going to put it up on the slide, but I, I lost it. Um, so there's this picture where you see it, and you see one of them first. But once someone explains to you, oh, look, you know, her eyelash there looks like the, the, the top of her hat and this other thing. Once you see the thing, then you can't not see both women. I think what Paul is saying in this revealing of the mystery is that once you understand what Christ has come to do, Everything begins to make sense. And then not just the things of the scriptures, but the things of your life, like what's wrong, what you need, how how things can be set right again. Those things now make sense because of what Christ has done. So so he basically says the same thing in verses 7 to 12. We'll just go through it fast. He says, of this gospel, this good news, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. He kind of gives his kind of credentials here. This was given to me by the working of his power. God's the one who made me an apostle. And to me, though I am the very least of the saints, his grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ 
what I want to do is actually proclaim that this blows your mind. What Christ has done, this unsearchable riches phrase, would say this is actually way more than you expected. It's deeper than what you can fathom and imagine. It blows your mind and reorients everything about your life. So I want to preach that, and I want to bring to light for everybody what is this plan, the mystery that was hidden for the ages, which God created who God designed, who's the one who created all things. Right? The one who created everything is the one who has this mystery of the ages. Verse 10, so that through the church, I want to tell you all this, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That as the cosmos watch God's redemption plan, it's in the church, God making one new people through Jew and Gentile at his own sacrifice. That thing is giving praise and glory to God that he's the kind of God who is faithful. He's the kind of God who keeps his promise. He's the kind of God who loves you. And he's the kind of God who sacrifices himself. Look at verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he had realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. The plan always was that the descendant of Adam would have his head crushed or he would crush the head of the serpent even while he was being harmed. Right? There would always be this pain. There would always be this sacrifice. The, Isaiah says that the servant of the Lord would come and actually be slaughtered on our behalf and it was by his stripes that we are healed. Right? It's in Jesus that the faithfulness of God is revealed and the church declares the wisdom of that. So when we gather We're reminding ourselves of God's faithfulness, and we're inviting those who don't yet believe to trust them. That that is God's purpose in the church. Okay, what is the plan? The plan is that you would hear that, you would receive it, you would accept it, then you would begin to embody it, right? The way he prays this prayer, that you would press it down deep, that you would see the love of God for who you really are are for what he's done it would radically change and transform you you would you would embody it and then you would begin to explain it to other people and you would invite them to trust as well the, the plan is that just like paul heard this mystery and then shared it so that you and i could accept it and believe it we could accept and believe it then we could embody it then we could share it with other people the plan is that the spreading of this good news of the glory of god the declaration of his faithfulness happens as the church grows throughout time and it grows throughout time as people hear the good news of the gospel they accept it this is the great commission right to go and teach all nations and baptize them and teach them what it means to follow and call them to actually be in a relationship with me that that plan is that we would spread the good news of God's faithful love to welcome people into a relationship with him at his own death and expense and that would spread across the globe and then just stop and go like man Seems like kind of a shaky plan in some ways because the church is pretty fragile. Even, even our church, right, there are places where if God's reputation is on the line and how we behave and treat each other, there's some massive questions about that. Which is important to say hey, the foundation of the church isn't on what we do, it's on what Christ has done, right? He is the cornerstone. So even when we're not faithful, he proves himself faithful. So you might go, hey, it's kind of a shaky plan. But another way, it's brilliant because it's passed relationally the same way that God comes towards us relationally. And as you understand what Christ has done and you're welcomed in from the outside to the inside, you share that with other people. And so just run the timeline. And I, and I tried to think through, like, could I get you from the first apostles 
and kind of run this elaborate timeline all the way to the American shores and then kind of settlers coming this way who settled in Kansas and then the First Baptist Association was here and then our church was born. Could I get you into that whole timeline? And it got way too complicated and confusing. And there's also like a lot of jagged edges in that story. So I was like, I don't know if we want to tell that story at the family reunion because there's some stuff that like is a little bit embarrassing. But, but the, essentially understand with me, you are here because 2,000 years ago, somebody heard this, they accepted it, They embodied what it meant to be reconciled to God. They explained it to somebody else and invited that person to believe. That person received it. They began to understand what it meant and they embodied it. And then they explained it to somebody else and invited them to believe and that person accepted it. And then they heard that. They began to understand what it meant and they embodied it. And then they began to explain it to somebody else, and they invited that person to believe and to believe and to believe and to believe. And now 2,000 years later, this mystery is spreading, not through this powerful institution, but through this expression of God's faithfulness in the church that from the very beginning blew our minds, that it's in weakness that God came to us. And he reconciled us not because we were strong and amazing, but because we had needs and we were in our sin and we were lost and broken. So so the plan of God is to share the good news of his faithfulness through people. And the book of Acts, what we see is as people gather then, the leaders explain and teach, and then they appoint elders, and the church is born. So it's not just individual believers disconnected by themselves. Acts 14 says the plan was they would go to different towns, they would share, explain, embody, invite. People would come and trust Jesus. The church would form. They would appoint elders and pastors take care of and shepherd God's people, and then they would move to the next place. And those people that were there would share and invite and embody and explain and share and invite and embody and explain. And it's grown and grown and grown to the place that you and I sit in pews, not out of nowhere. I deeply want us to acknowledge the strangeness of our family background. Every family is dysfunctional. It's a human system. There's lots of funky things about the American church. We could just say that. There's places where we've gotten off track. There's places where we've been allured by power. There's places where we haven't been faithful to God's word. But at that family reunion, we can point to God's faithfulness and say, man, we're here because other people explained and they invited and they embodied and they accepted what Christ had done. And now, now here we are. And so I thought it would just be fun to hear quickly uh, our story as a church. So let me invite Helen Narset to come up. Uh, Helen is technically our church historian. She's also been here since 1964, which is pretty amazing. I asked Helen just to kind of give us like a quick um, timeline or a quick explanation of who we are, where we came from, so that you know if you're asking what's this church about, kind of where we come from. And if you've been here for a bit, I hope it encourages you to hear God's faithfulness. So this is my, my friend, Helen. Go for it. Good morning. As Chris says, my name is Helen Narstead. And I would like to share with you some of the history of our church. My family, husband Gary, and our two boys, Mike and Steve, came to Leewood in 1964. The children were both baptized here. I have seen God's work in place here for over five decades. Gary and I served in a variety of roles, teaching Sunday school class, deacon ministry, music activities, serving on various committees. We first came to Leewood because we were visited by a member, and we stayed because this church feels like home, and we never had a desire to go anywhere else. 
When I think of Leewood and what it means to me, my mind goes to the warmth and friendliness of the people here and how God has led us in the work he wanted us to do. One especially moving moment was the outpouring of love that my family and I felt at Gary's funeral memorial service. Now I want to tell you a little bit about how Leewood came to be on this corner, 83rd and State Line. On November 17, 1957, a group of people with a keen sense of God's love and leadership had a burning desire to start and organize a church. They met for the first time in a vacant house at 103rd Street and Mission Road in Johnson County. There were approximately 95 people present at this first service. Temporary officers and teachers and committees were elected. The first name of this church was Pioneer Baptist Church. The new church quickly outgrew the first meeting place, and over the next five months, Pioneer Baptist Church met in an AA building, the Country Club YMCA, the Tune Shop, and Ranch Mart Auditorium. On January 5, 1958, Pioneer Baptist Church was duly constituted and was aligned with the Southern Baptist Convention. Pioneer Baptist Church had about 200 charter members, including children. Many of these are now deceased, but two are still LBC members, Gene Christensen and David Byers. On March the 1st, 1958, Dr. Robert Kraft was called as the first pastor. In April 1958, a seven-acre site at 83rd and State Line was selected on which to build a church campus that was geared to the needs of the people. The site cost $54,000. Can you believe that? Because this site was in the city of Leewood, the name was changed from Pioneer Baptist Church to Leewood Baptist Church. In May 1958, architects were selected to design the first two buildings, the South Wing, down here, which contained the sanctuary, classrooms, and choir room, and offices. In the North Wing, up that way, housed the fellowship hall, fellowship hall, the kitchen, and classrooms. These were completed in 1963. They were built far enough apart so that a larger worship center could then be built and connect the two initial buildings as the church grew. Andy Odom was called as pastor in March 1969. On September 24, 1972, all the loan notes for the purchase and constructions of Leewood Baptist Church were burned in a ceremony in the parking lot. LBC was now debt-free, at least for a little while. In October 1972, ground was broken for the worship center where we are sitting right now. The cost was, if you can believe it, $750,000. It was completed in January 1974 with a seating capacity of, a, of about 550. Dr. Jerry Barnes was called as pastor in 1981. In January 1983, LBC celebrated its 25th anniversary. The first congregation was 89 members. 25 years later, LBC had about 750 resident members. During Dr. Barnes' tenure, some of the changes were made to the original buildings. Among these changes were the addition of the parlor, the hearth room, and the elevator. 
Dr. Mike McKinney was called as pastor in October 1968. I'm sorry, 1988. During Dr. McKinney's tenure, the preschool area was renovated and a new organ was purchased. LBC celebrated its 50th anniversary in 2007, and Dr. McKinney retired from the ministry in the summer of 2013, after almost 25 years at Leewood. In 2015, Adam Carter was called as pastor. In 2020, Chris McGee was called as senior minister, with Adam Carter as associate minister. Jason Franklin, worship pastor, and Stephen Ellison, pastoral fellow, round out the current staff here at, at Leewood. God has been with Leewood during all the years since its beginning of 19, in 1957. He has done amazing things. We have seen many people accept Christ and be baptized. We have partnered with other churches in our own community and outside of it with mission trips. We helped start Emmanuel Baptist Church and were part of a ministerial alliance with other Leewood churches. God guided our Bible classes and music ministry for all ages. God led us to participate in the Interfaith Hospitality Network, which is a ministry to the homeless in our community, and also the Longest Night Service, which is a sobering service to honor and grieve murder victims in our city. Through our bread ministry, he has shown us a way to provide bread where it's most needed in our community. God has been with us all the way. But not all times have been happy. Most churches face difficult times, difficulties at times, and LBC is no exception. We have had losses, many funerals over the years, as well as conflict and division, which threatened the future of this church. However, in all of this, God has been faithful. Leewood has never stopped trying to carry out its purpose of reaching the lost and ministering to others. Our existence, even today, comes through tragedy and trial and a pandemic. This is evidence of God's commitment to his church. Today, I have given you some of the chronology, statistics, and highlights of our church. But the thing I most want you to know is that this is Jesus' church. He is our senior pastor, and we are his bride. He has led us faithfully through the past, and I am confident that he will continue to lead us into the future. Man. Okay, so to be part of a family that has a story that traces back millennium, that's rooted in a declaration of God's faithfulness, gives us permission to be honest about our brokenness, because it never really was about us to begin with. It never was about how strong we were, how stable we were, right? Remember, Christ is the foundation of this church. It, it's his body that, that he is the head of. He's the senior pastor and always will be. And, and he is the groom that came and sought the bride, right? The romantic story of the love of God expressed in the church has Jesus Christ at the center of it. And friends, that gives us like a strong, stable place to think about the purpose of the church. It reminds us when we gather that we're coming to actually hear about him. If the church is the declaration of God's faithfulness, then what we do when we gather is declare God's faithfulness. And we sing about how he's forgiven us, and we sing about what we need from him, and we sing about how he provides, and we sing about what he's going to do in the future. And we pray real feeble prayers and ask God to meet us in this space, and we open up his word, and we ask him to, 
speak to us. And then we engage with each other and we see how we're interconnected and how we belong and some of the challenges that are there, some of the the space and the pressure that happens when you gather people that are really different. But, But what happens in that space, all of those differences, all those challenges are all opportunities to declare what this passage says the church is meant to declare, that the mystery of God is revealed in the church, that God, through his son Jesus, made a bride for himself and kept his promises to rescue and redeem. Hey, so the reason why I missed church last week I miss just celebrating that with you. I miss reminding ourselves together. I miss being reminded alongside of you of God's faithfulness. I miss inviting people to come and trust. Because the plan is not just to receive this for ourselves and be thankful for that and be part of a big story and somehow let that go in a space where we get prideful or arrogant or, or think that we're something special. It actually is meant to take root in our hearts in ways that we share it to the people. That, that is the plan. The purpose is to declare God's faithfulness And the plan then is to share God's faithfulness. And we do that underneath this promise that God is with us. I want to just end there because, again, the highlight here is that Christ is the one who is the centerpiece of this whole thing. I want to just start a conversation about the church, just saying over and over and over again, the church is about Jesus. The church is about Jesus. And what he's doing in that declares the good news of Jesus, which is why Paul is willing to go to prison and suffer. This letter is written under great suffering and persecution from Paul, right? So he says in verse 11, like the eternal purpose of God, it's realized in Christ Jesus. And it's because of him in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith. So that sounds amazing. Then he says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for which is your glory. He's saying this plan of God's faithfulness and his kindness It's actually got me in a spot where I'm willing to suffer to share God's purpose and his plan with other people. And he says we have this bold access right into the relationship with God, but it comes at a cost because it's not about us. It's about him. It's a reorienting factor for our lives. And the promise, though, is that he's with us, that we have access to him. Jesus would say it like this in Matthew 28. He says to his disciples, who it says in the text that some believed and some doubted, which is profound. Because that's our room here, right? Some believe and some doubt. And even in a single day, the same person may believe and doubt. But he says, hey, all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. And I'm going to be with you for forever. So, so go and share the good news and make disciples of all nations. And I will be with you to the very ends of the earth. The promise of this text that keeps Paul going and the promise for our church is that it's in Christ that we have access to God himself, his very presence, right? We're boldly coming into the access we have through faith in him. He promises to be with us as a church, and we gather to celebrate and remind ourselves of that reality. I want to just plant a flag there for us. That's why we exist. That's where we come from. We owe to people who had the courage and boldness to share the good news at great expense, which I was kindly and tenderly rebuked from the Lord just thinking about evangelism and sharing as essential to the mission of the church. We've been in a weird space where we've grown by people who kind of already know Jesus or are concerned about Jesus or have an experience with Jesus. So if we're not careful, we'll turn our attention to just managing what's happening here and forget that the purpose of the church is to declare God's faithfulness to the nations. And the plan is to take God's message of faithfulness to the nations and for us to be a people who go with his promise of his presence into the spaces where people are still separated 
People are still alienated. People are still on the outside. People still need to hear the good news of Jesus. Like that is the mission of the church. And so next week we pick up here, talk about like how we want to do that, what we're trying to accomplish as a church. It will be how we're trying to live into this purpose of the church. And then what we do when we take communion every week is actually retell this story of God's faithfulness. If you didn't grab communion elements in a moment, I'll give you a space. You can grab some in the back or some here in the front. If you're following Jesus, what you're doing when you take communion is declaring his faithfulness. Paul says that when you take communion, you're proclaiming this truth of his broken body and shed blood until he returns again. We're, we're trusting in what Christ has done for us. And so I want to just stop for a second and go, what's the meaning of the church? It's to declare God's faithfulness. How was he most faithful through his own sacrifice? Let's just sit there for a moment. Let God speak to us about that reality that would actually push us outward to share that good news with somebody else. So, so let's take communion together. The way we do it here is we have this little cup. I long for the day that we do this a little bit differently. Maybe in the near future we'll do it differently. But for now, the bottom little wafer on that thing represents the broken body of Jesus. And the little top cup of juice represents his shed blood. And for those who are trusting Christ, it's a way to proclaim and remember the good news of what Christ has done. For those who aren't yet trusting Jesus, you're welcome just to sit and receive the message of this, to hear the invitation of God. And if you're ready to trust Him, if you're ready to receive Him yourself, then man, by all means, come and take communion. But if you're not there yet, would you just maybe pray? There's some prayers in the back of your bulletin that would give you an example and a guide of how you might cry out to God and ask for His help. If you're not trusting Christ, don't take communion because it's a declaration that this is our hope. But man, I want you to hear this morning that He actually came to welcome you from the outside to the inside. And for those who have already trusted him, then let's, let's declare it together. Let me just pray for us. We'll take communion and then we'll sing one more song. So, so Jesus, thank you for your church. Thanks for your body and your bride. Thanks that you've made a way for us to be welcomed into it by faith through what you've done. We rehearse now in this moment that your broken body is where our hope starts and your shed blood is what we're trusting in for our salvation. Would you nourish us with that? Would you encourage us with that? Would you remind us of your kindness and faithfulness even while we declare the good news of what you've done until you return? So so help us now meet us. For those who are struggling with doubt, who, who wonder if you're faithful, would you speak to them right now? Even the long faithful plan of your church through the, through the ages, God, would that speak a stableness of who you are? All the ups and downs, all the jagged edges, all the places that are weird and strange and need to be repented of all of that strange stuff in the family history, you are still faithful in the middle of that. So, so would you communicate your faithfulness in the room? Stir our faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. for joining us online. Leewood Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information about us and our ministry, please visit us at www.leewoodbaptist.com.